Well, wonderful to be with you uh, today, this morning. I want to give a big shout out right now to all of our children's church team. And I don't know if you got to see any of the Choctoberfest uh, this week. It's, if you didn't, go online. What an amazing, crazy, zany, wonderful, wonderful time. And uh, there's still views happening. And so uh, please check out how our team pivoted in this uh, season and just put something together that is phenomenal. So well done to our, to our team. Love does. God is love. God does. And if you say, well, what does God do? <laughs> Mostly what God does is love you. And so Ephesians 5.2 says, so keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us, love like that. But we know not everyone does what love does. Hate does, hurt does, harm does, evil does, and the evil one does. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13 that, that the Lord would lead us not into temptation, but that he would deliver us, de deliver us from the evil one. And then in John 17, 15, Jesus prayed also. He said, I do not pray that you'll take them out of the world. In other words, like Rob said, we don't live in a bubble, a spiritual bubble. He said, I pray that you would not take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. And then Paul told the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3. He said, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard your heart from the evil one. And so here we see uh, the real presence, not only of God, who mostly loves us, but of the evil one. But the prayer that we see through the scripture is that the Lord would deliver us, that the Lord would keep us, and that the Lord would guard us from the evil one. Mostly what God does is love you. But mostly what the evil one does is diss you. And we've been talking about how the devil wants to diss you. Dis means to speak disrespectfully to or to criticize and to accuse and to condemn. And in Revelations chapter 12 and verse 10, we find that this is what he does day and night before God. He disses you daily. He criticizes you constantly. He condemns you continually. Now, two weeks ago, I said that he wants to not only diss you, but he wants to dismiss you. But while he is dismissing you, God's love is distinguishing you. God's love is crowning you. God's love is setting you apart. Now last week, we talked about how the devil wants to diss your qualification. Your qualification as a Christian, as a child of God, as a follower of Christ. He wants you to feel like you're, you're disqualified or you're unqualified. But we discovered that he has some serious misinformation about your qualification for salvation. We found out 
that we were never qualified in the first place for salvation. We could never qualify ourselves. We could never in a thousand years put ourselves in a place where we were worthy or where we deserved or where we qualified for God's amazing grace. You know, when you qualify for a job or a sport or a role, you earn it. You deserve it. You worked to get there. But you could never qualify or earn or deserve God's amazing grace and your free salvation. It is a gift. It is a gift from God. Your behavior is not your savior. Your savior is your savior. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness that we have done. So today, I want to show you how the devil wants to dis your harmony, your unity, and your accord. He wants you divided, not united. He will dis your harmony and your unity. He doesn't want us congregated. He wants us segregated. Not partnered together, but partitioned apart. He wants us alienated, isolated, and separated. He wants you alone and on your own. You know, we're just easier prey when we don't pray together in harmony and unity. The devil wants to divide us over our diversity. He wants to diss us over our differences. Division is his domain. And division defeats vision. And he hates, hates, hates the prayer that Jesus prayed to his father just hours before he went to the cross. The amazing prayer of unity that we see in John chapter 17 and verse 11. He said, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And then Jesus continues to pray. And in about 10 or 11 verses, he cranks it up. And he says this, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in, am in you. May they also be in us and so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Man, this most powerful, preeminent, Paramount prayer is what Jesus prays just hours before he goes to the cross. He passionately prays for our unity. You see, Jesus deeply desires that we experience the oneness and the harmony with each other that he experiences with the Father. Now from this prayer, we can understand why the devil wants to dis our unity. He knows that disunity costs us our credibility. That they may be one that the world may know you sent me. 
This is how we have credibility with the world. Not when we're divided, but when we are united. He wants, the devil wants to diss our unity to keep the world from knowing Jesus. He said, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know. It's when we are together in unity that we can talk and teach Jesus to the world. Our mission's mandate doesn't happen when we're all messed up and divided. It happens when we are together with a purpose and a heart and we are bound together. Unity is vital to the vision of world evangelism. So the devil wants to diss our unity. Otherwise, the whole world will know Jesus because it's going to take a united church. You know, another reason the devil wants to diss our unity is because he knows that when we pray together in harmony and symphony, that we can ask for anything. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 19 in the Amplified Bible, we read this. I tell you, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree, harmonize together, make a symphony together about anything and everything, whatever they ask, they ask, it will come to pass and be done for them by my Father in heaven. Wow. For wherever two or three are gathered, drawn together as my followers in and into my name, there I am in the midst of them. This teaching terrifies the devil that we could be in unity and in prayer and God just opens all of heaven for us. The devil disses our harmony and he disses our unity. Otherwise, we can ask anything in prayer and it is done for us. Let me give you another reason why the devil wants to diss our unity. And that's found in Psalm 133 and verses one through three. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. The devil wants to diss our unity. Otherwise, what a good and pleasant and satisfied and anointed and blessed life you will live. And we can't have that now, can we? In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, we read this. Make every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep. The word to keep in the Greek is tereo, and it means to attend to carefully, to take care of, to guard. We are to keep. We are to take care for. We are to, it is our job to take care of and to guard and protect the unity of the church. And how do we do this? 
I want to just share with you three simple ways. I'm going to show us just three simple ways on how to protect the unity of the church, the unity that Jesus prayed for before he went to the cross. And so let me just give you these simple thoughts today. How do we keep, guard, protect the unity of the church? Number one, let's focus on what we have in common. Wouldn't it be just like the devil to get us to focus on what we have different? But when we focus on what we hold together in common, you know, Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 3 through 6 says this, make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Now listen, here's what we have in common. He goes on to say this, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to the one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. These are the things that we hold in common. But the enemy would rather us talk about the things that we might differ from. Oh, well, I'm a premillennialist and I'm a postmillennialist. Well, I'm a Calvinist. Oh, well, I'm an Arminianist. Oh, oh, well, I believe that you have to speak in tongues to be filled with Holy Spirit. Oh, well, I don't believe you. No. No, if we are going to hold and guard and treasure and protect this most precious, powerful thing called unity. We must focus and hold tightly the things that we have in common. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 19, it says, so then we must always aim at those things that bring peace, not those things that bring contention, not those things, no, we must aim at the things that bring peace and that help strengthen one another. That's how we keep, that's how we guard, that's how we protect our unity as a church. Aim for the things that bring peace. Hold the things we have in common. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and uh, verse 10, Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought. How do we protect the unity of the church? Well, number one, we focus on what we have in common. Number two, we become realistic about the church. The church is a place for imperfect people. It's been that way ever since I became a part of it. We must passionately love the church in spite of its imperfections. The church is not in heaven and gloriously, uh, you know, uh, without f fault. No, we're on the earth. We're on the earth. And on the earth, it's, it's filled with imperfection. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, and by the way, don't let this throw you off because this is what God wants to use to perfect us, is the imperfections around us. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, we read this, be patient with each other making allowance 
for each other's faults because of your love. You want to keep the unity of the church? You want to guard it? Yes, you do. Well, you know what we have to do? Not only do we focus on what we have in common, but we have to make allowances for each other's faults because of your love. This is what love does. Love makes allowances for each other. We each have faults and flaws and frailties. The only perfection in the church is Jesus. And then there's us. All of us falling short and needing grace. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, Paul says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. You know that just might happen in church life at some time or a lot of times. We are to forgive we are to forgive each other. We are to forgive anyone who offends us. And then he says, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you also forgive others. How do we protect the unity of the church? Well, we focus on what we hold and have in common. And we, be, we, we are realistic about the church. Number three, this is just a real practical, powerful way to keep the unity of the church. Number three is we refuse to listen to gossip ever. You know, in Romans chapter one and verse 29, Paul talks about those who have given themselves over to every kind of evil. And then he kind of gives the big 10, I think he has nine or, or 10, and he lists, you know, the, 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 uh, of those, of total evil, of every kind of evil. Listen to it. I'll just read this to you. This is from Romans chapter one and verse 29. He says, for their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, Malicious behavior and gossip. When Paul puts his list of every kind of wickedness together, he lists hate, he lists greed, he lists murder, he lists deception and gossip. Refuse to listen to gossip like you refuse to hate and murder and deceive. In Proverbs 25 and verse 23, from the Passion Translation, it says this, as the north wind brings a storm, saying things you shouldn't brings a storm to any relationship. We read in Psalms chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter in your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead a blameless life, those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts, those who refuse 
to gossip, to harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Oh my goodness. Who, Lord, will ascend into your place? Well, those who lift holy hands and who do right, but no gossipers are welcome here. You know, you should be indignant and incensed and inflamed the moment someone begins to gossip. It should offend you. It should be the most vile thing you can listen to that we don't listen to. Proverbs 26 and verse 20, it says this. It takes fuel to have a fire. A fire dies down when you run out of fuel. (laughs) So quarrels disappear when the gossip ends. Make sure you are not fuel for that fire and make sure gossip ends with you. So how do we protect the unity of the church? We focus on what and who we have in common. We become realistic about the church. She's not perfect. And we refuse to listen to gossip. Gossip is the devil's game plan to get us out of harmony and out of unity and out of accord. Jesus prayed powerfully and passionately just a few hours before he died for our unity. Why did he pray like that? Because Jesus deeply desires that we experience the oneness with each other that he experiences with the Father. He prayed like that because disunity costs us our credibility and it keeps the world from knowing Jesus. He prayed like that because of the amazing promise of answered prayer when we ask together in harmony and symphony in his name. So how do we guard and keep and carefully protect our unity. We focus on what we hold and have in common. We're realistic about the church, and so we give and forgive. We bear and we forbear. And we absolutely, unreservedly refuse to listen to gossip. I want to read my last scripture to you today from the book of Acts. Chapter 4 and verse 32, it says this. The whole congregation of believers was united as one. One heart and one mind. Imagine that. Can you imagine that? All the believers united with one heart and one mind. No schisms and divisions. No self-focus and self-seeking and trying to make everybody else see it like I see it. Oh, this amazing, powerful picture of what that church looked like. And that's the church that turned the world upside down and overthrew the Roman Empire. Come on, imaginations. Can we imagine this? A people in different locations as one, with one heart and one mind keeping our credibility with the world and reaching the world, having harmony and fellowship and unity with each other like Jesus has with his Father. This is the world Jesus lives in, in the beautiful trinity, the beautiful harmony, and he invites us into that world of unity. And how powerful when by faith, reaching out to do his will, we can come together in prayer and ask for anything 
and it will be done for us. A church with one heart and one mind. Man, that's got to be the devil's worst nightmare. Well, how about we give him some nightmares? Amen.